Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. Today we hope to continue our short series on the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ as he made his way to the cross. To that end, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, as we read the verses 47 to 56. Hear God's holy word. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus, and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they, and laid hands on Jesus, and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand, and drew his sword, and struck a servant of the high priests, and smote off his ear. Then again Jesus said unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Thus far the reading of the word of God. The text for the sermon today is taken from this portion of God's word, Matthew 26, and the last part of verse 56. These words, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word. Dear friends, when we read through the gospel accounts of the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's striking to observe that Jesus was almost always surrounded by people. People flocked to him by the thousand. Some came to hear him preach. Others came to be healed of their sicknesses and diseases. Still others came to ask him for advice or to have their questions answered. And to be sure, there were also times when he was alone. For example, when he prayed to his father. But for the most part, Jesus was almost always surrounded by people. If not by the multitudes, then certainly by his disciples. But as we approach the end of his ministry, this began to change. Slowly but surely, Jesus found himself increasingly isolated and alone. And we have a stunning illustration of that in the passage that we just read together, Matthew 26, the verses 17 through 56. Jesus and the disciples were in the garden of Gethsemane. And while they were there, Judas came with a band of soldiers to arrest him. Seeing the soldiers and fearful of their lives, we read in our text, Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. For the first time in his life, Jesus found himself completely 
and utterly alone. With the help of the Lord, we want to consider the words of our text under this theme, Jesus forsaken by the disciples. And we'll see that this was shocking, it was humiliating, and it was necessary. The events of our text took place the very night that Jesus was arrested. As mentioned, Jesus and the disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane. And while they were there, Jesus began to be sorrowful and heavy of heart. He knew that at any time he would be taken away to be crucified. And needless to say, this was a great burden for him. Our Lord was about to bear the full brunt of the wrath of God against sin. And to be sure, this is why he came to this earth, and he knew it. But it burdened him nonetheless. And so he took Peter, James, and John and went off by himself to pray. In this prayer, Jesus besought his Father three times that if it was possible to let this cup of his suffering pass from him. Father, he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. We catch here a glimpse into what lived in the heart of our Lord the night before his death. On the one hand, he was petrified, so petrified that he pleaded with the Father that if it was possible to let the cup of his suffering pass from him and sweat great drops of blood on the ground. And on the other hand, he knew that there was no other way for him to make atonement for the sins of his people than by going to the cross. And therefore he also prayed, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And significantly, every time that Jesus finished praying this prayer, he returned to his disciples only to find them fast asleep. Not only does this show how weak and faithless the disciples were, it also shows how isolated Christ was becoming. Well, to be sure, the Father sent an angel to strengthen him, as we read about in Luke's Gospel. But his disciples, the men whom he had counted on, and even looked to for support and encouragement in his greatest hour of need, what were they doing? They were fast asleep. Already then, Jesus was becoming isolated. Soon he would be completely alone. Then something shocking happened. Just as Jesus finished praying, we read in verse 47 that Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Earlier, Judas had covenanted with the chief priest to betray the Lord Jesus for a mere 30 pieces of silver. And now here he came with a great multitude with swords and clubs, And as soon as he saw Jesus, Judas went up to him and he kissed him. That was the custom in those days. And the tense of the Greek verb here suggests that he did so repeatedly. He kissed him again and again. Judas was pretending that he was happy to see Jesus. The kiss was merely a signal which Judas had devised to indicate to the soldiers which of the men they should arrest. So as soon as Judas kissed our Savior, the soldiers came and arrested him. How painful this must have been for Jesus. Judas, as Matthew emphasizes, was one of the twelve, one of the inner circle, 
one who was privileged to accompany our Lord on his travels, one who heard his teaching and witnessed his miracles firsthand. And yet it was this man, Judas, one of the twelve, who betrayed him. And then with a kiss, a sign of affection, loyalty, and friendship. At that moment, a scuffle ensued. Peter, determined not to allow Jesus to be taken away, pulled out a sword, probably a small dagger that he had hidden under his clothes, and he started brandishing it here and there, striking the servant of the high priest and cutting off his ear. Why did Peter do this? Partly out of love for Jesus. Peter could not bear the thought of his friend and master being arrested and possibly put to death. Perhaps, too, Peter was hoping that Jesus would follow his lead and and use his great power to destroy his enemies once and for all. But Jesus refused. In fact, he told Peter to put his sword back into its proper place. And he reminded him that all who take the sword shall perish by the sword. And that if he wanted to defend himself, he could pray to his father who would provide him with more than 12 legions of angels. Following this, he addressed the multitude who came to arrest him. He asked them why they had come to arrest him with swords and clubs as though he was some kind of dangerous criminal. He reminded them that he sat with them daily teaching in the temple. Why then did they not arrest him then? And of course, Jesus knew the answer to that question. It was because they were afraid of provoking a riot. But all this was done, he said, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled whereupon the soldiers placed him under arrest. And then we read the words of our text. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Evidently, the disciples realized that resistance was futile. What could a band of 12 men do against a large band of soldiers, especially if Jesus was not going to use his power to defend himself? To them it seemed utterly hopeless, and so the disciples forsook him and fled. You notice the words that Matthew uses here. He uses the word forsook. The Greek word here means to leave behind, to sever all ties with. Elsewhere this word is translated as divorce, and in a sense that's what the disciples did, didn't they? Without a moment's hesitation, at the first sign of danger, they severed all ties with the Lord Jesus. They divorced him. Secondly, they fled, Matthew says. That word fled implies a hasty running away. The disciples turned and ran away as fast as they could. They fled in panic. We have an illustration of that in Mark's Gospel. There we read that after the disciples had fled, the soldiers caught a certain young man. Many claim it was Mark himself. And they tried to hold him down. But the young man wriggled free and ran off into the garden, stark naked. And the fact that the young man ran away naked indicates the terror that gripped the disciples at that particular moment. They were so afraid. They were prepared to do anything to get away even if it meant leaving Jesus behind. And what is more, this is something they all did. Matthew says they all forsook him and fled. 
And that included Jesus' favorites, Peter, James, and even the beloved John. These were the men he confided in. These were the men he trusted, the men he loved, his friends. They all forsook him and fled. It goes without saying, this is most shocking. Shocking because only a few hours earlier, the disciples vowed that they would never do such a thing. You may remember how earlier that evening, Jesus and the disciples were in the upper room in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover feast. And while they were there, Jesus told his disciples that that night one of them would betray him. The disciples, however, would have none of it. Peter was especially insistent. Though all men should be offended because of thee, he said, yet will I never be offended. In reply, Jesus said to him, Verily I say unto you, that this night before the rooster crows, thou shalt deny me three times. But again, Peter denied it. Though I should die with thee, he said, yet will I not deny thee. And then we read, likewise also said all the disciples. So Peter and the disciples vowed that they would never forsake the Lord. But only a few hours later, that's exactly what they did. Just when Jesus needed them the most, they all forsook him and fled. How sad. And how painful this must have been for the Lord. Just when he needed them, they all forsook him and fled. Oh, but dear friends, are we any different? Have we not also forsaken the Lord Jesus? Not just once, but many times. You say, how have we forsaken him? Well, we forsake him every time we sin, don't we? The Lord Jesus came to deliver us from sin by assuming our flesh and blood and dying on the cross. But when we sin, we forsake him. We act as though he did not exist. We act as though he did nothing for us that he did not go to the cross, that we are not his children, and he is not our Savior. And therefore, let us not be too hard on the disciples, friends. What they have done, we have done too many times. And oh, how that ought to bring us on our knees before the Lord, confessing our sin and our unfaithfulness, and to ask the Lord for more grace, to love him more, and to live for him more consistently. Oh, will you do that? this day. The disciples forsook the Lord Jesus. It was a great shock, but it was also a great humiliation. And that brings us to our second point. The fact that the disciples forsook the Lord Jesus and fled was indeed a great humiliation. It was a great humiliation in the first place for the disciples. How ashamed they must have felt as they ran away from the soldiers, leaving their Lord and Master and friend behind. Oh, to be sure, Peter and John later came into the house of Caiaphas to see what would happen to Jesus. But as far as we know, neither of them came to Jesus' defense. In fact, when Peter was identified as being one of the disciples, he denied it not once, not twice, but three times. The last time with cursing and swearing. And while the Bible is silent about what was going on in the minds of the disciples after they fled the scene, it's reasonable to assume that they profoundly regretted what they had done, certainly later on. 
How could they do such a thing? How could they be so cruel and heartless? How could they be so faithless? The whole ordeal must have humbled them deeply. And how necessary that was. Up to this point, the disciples thought very highly of themselves. Only a few weeks before these events, they had argued among themselves as to which of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. James and John asked Jesus if they could sit on his right hand and on his left when he came into his kingdom. And when Jesus said to them, Are you able to be baptized with the the baptism that I am baptized with without flinching? They said, We can. And what is more, when they arrived at the upper room in order to celebrate the Passover, none of them stooped to wash the other's feet, forcing Jesus to do this for them. How much they had to learn. They still had to learn that in and of themselves they were nothing. And that without Christ they could do nothing, which is precisely what they did learn after they fled from Jesus. Dear believer, we need to learn that lesson too. Like the disciples, we too can have a tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. To think that we've arrived, how prone we are to become proud and arrogant and self-reliant. Wasn't that precisely the problem with the church at Laodicea? The people there thought that they were rich and had become wealthy and had need of nothing. Whereas in actual fact, Jesus said they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. We're no different. And that's why the Lord has to humble us and to teach us again and again that in and of ourselves we are nothing and that without Christ we can do nothing. Sometimes he does that in a gentle way. At other times, however, our hearts become so hardened that our Lord has to resort to more extreme methods like he did in the case of the disciples. The point is, the Lord has to teach us this again and again. He has to strip us of all self-righteousness and self-reliance so that we might learn to cling ever more tightly to him. My friend, has he done that in your life? Blessed are those who have learned that they are nothing in themselves. They and they alone are the true disciples of Christ. Secondly, it was a great humiliation for our Lord. And that's because the disciples were his friends. They had spent many days together traveling up and down Palestine. During this time, they became very close. He loved them. He shared his secrets with them. He conversed with them. They ate together. They slept together. What is more, our Lord had commissioned them to be his apostles. He had given them authority to preach and power to perform miracles. And he had promised that they would sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. But now they had all forsaken him and fled. Children, has it ever happened to you that you were outside playing with your friends when all of a sudden they ran away from you and left you all alone? Sometimes children do that. Children can be cruel and mean sometimes. And when they do that, how does that make you feel? I'm sure it makes you feel very sad. After all, they're your friends. Friends don't run away from you. Friends stand beside you through thick and thin because they love you. But this is what happened to Jesus. The disciples were his friends, but they all forsook him and fled. How sad. Sad for the disciples, but sad especially 
for Jesus. And yet, my friends, how necessary this was as well. And that brings us to our third and final point. Yes, though painful, it was necessary for our Lord to be forsaken by his disciples. Why? Why was it necessary for Jesus to be forsaken by his disciples? Why did he have to be isolated? Well, one reason was to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. In Zechariah 13, verse 7, the Lord is quoted as saying, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn my hand upon the little ones. The shepherd of the Lord, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the shepherd of his people. They are his sheep. The time would come, says the Lord, when he would cause his shepherd to be struck with the sword. And when that happened, the sheep, his disciples, would be scattered. Jesus himself cited these exact words in the upper room just a few hours before he was arrested. In Matthew 26, verse 31, we read that Jesus said to them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, and then he quotes Zechariah 13, verse 7, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. And that's exactly what happened. The disciples fled in order to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. Another reason why the disciples fled was because this was part of the penalty that Jesus had to pay in order to make atonement for the sins of his people. Before the fall into sin, Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect fellowship and communion with God. God walked and talked with man in the garden in the cool of the day. But when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they went and hid themselves in the garden. Sin brought about separation. Separation between God and man. From this time forth, man became isolated. And now, in order to restore man to fellowship with God, Christ himself, as the second Adam, had to become isolated too. And he was first from the disciples when they forsook him and fled, later from his covenant people, the Jews, when they demanded that he be crucified. And ultimately he was isolated from his own father, especially during the three hours of darkness when he cried on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Christ, who from all eternity was in the bosom of his Father and throughout his earthly ministry was always surrounded by people, especially his dear friends, the disciples, now found himself isolated and cut off. But that's not all. Christ had to be isolated because the path that lay before him was a path that he had to walk alone. His disciples could not go with him to the house of Caiaphas. They could not go with him to the palace of Herod and to the judgment hall of Pontius Pilate. They could not stand beside him as he was being beaten and mocked by the soldiers. They could not help him carry his cross to Golgotha, much less go to the cross for him. All this he had to do alone. Why alone? 
because as the divine Son of God, only he could bear the wrath of God against sin. No one could help him in this. My friend, if we had to bear the wrath of God ourselves, we would be utterly consumed and salvation would become impossible. And God knew this. And so as painful as it must have been, he caused the disciples to forsake and to flee from his only begotten and well-beloved son in his greatest hour of need. It was the only way. It was the only way his people could be saved. Oh, my friend, do you see that today? Do you see that he had to do all of this alone? This is why Jesus let his disciples go. This is why he did not plead with them to come back. He could have done it. He could have cried out after them and said, Please don't leave me. Or he could have become angry with them and placed them on a guilt trip. But he did not do this. Instead, he let them go, even Peter and James and John. He let them run away like little children. Why? Partly because he loved them so much and did not want any harm to come to them, but also because he knew this was the only way. He knew he had to go to the cross alone. It was the only way to save his people. And he did. And because he did, sinners like you and me can be reconciled to God. Yes, he was forsaken, that we might never be forsaken of him. In Gethsemane and in Golgotha, There was only brokenness and abandonment and isolation. But now, because of his atoning work on the cross, there is unity and fellowship and love. Christ was isolated. Christ was forsaken so that we sinners could be reconciled to God. Oh, do you realize that today? Do you realize what it costs the Lord Jesus Christ to save sinners. He had to be forsaken by his disciples, yes, but ultimately by his own father even, for there was no other way. Because he was forsaken, we can be reconciled. Because he was cast off, we may draw near, yes, even boldly. Because he was isolated and abandoned, we can experience communion with God and with one another forever and ever. Oh, my friend, do you desire that for yourself? Then you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no mistake. As long as you are outside of Christ, you are cut off from God and under his wrath and condemnation. And you will remain cut off from God and under his wrath and under his condemnation to an everlasting eternity. Just as Christ was forsaken by his disciples and by his Father, so you will be forsaken by God unless you turn to him and believe on his name. And the wonderful news of the gospel is that Christ is still willing to receive sinners unto himself. He freely offers pardon and reconciliation to all who repent of their sin and believe on his name. Oh, may God give us grace to do this, that we too 
may enjoy the peace and blessedness and favor with God both now and forever. Amen. Dear friends, we always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by the message you have heard today, or if you were blessed by previous messages on this program, won't you please take a moment and let us know. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like more information about the Free Reformed Churches of North America, which sponsors this broadcast, please log on to our denominational website at www.frcna.org. And now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.